I don't know that the biggest Iowa Hawkeyes critic, detractor, hater, or pessimistic fan could have drawn up what we witnessed on Saturday night in Happy Valley. We will, of course, respond. Hawkeyes live right here at the Voice of College Football. We appreciate everybody stopping by. While it's still early in the show, grab a friend or two or 20. Bring them on in to the live chat. Leave your comments and questions. The Super Chats show up rather well. Leave uh, any contributions as well. Venmo, PayPal, and Cash App right here. And uh, with Corey, Corey Brad, of course, makes this show go from the Hawkeye of the Storm. Check out his latest which I believe is a video you just posted, Corey, here in the last uh, six or seven hours. I have not had a chance to see it yet, but it is on my YouTube feed. Yeah, we cut up. Uh, I cut up a couple of segments from our post-game show on Saturday with with Coach Patterson, and specifically when we had HawkeyeReport.com's Tom Caker on the show. I thought they were just really two excellent uh, segments. And we touched on the topic of Ference fatigue, which Tom claims to have coined that phrase years ago um, that a lot of fans feel. And I think right now, following Saturday's game, a lot of fans are feeling again. Um, and, you know, we can talk about, you know, the macro look. We can talk about what it means, what Saturday's result really means for the season. I'll be quite frank, Mark. It doesn't really impact how I view the rest of the year. I, I just It just doesn't. Um, I, I never expected this offense to be great. Now, um, I don't know that I expected it to, to be after four weeks ranked where it is nationally. I, and, and and as it relates to that, I have nothing else to say. I have to look uh, that up. <laughs> but here's the deal. Here's the deal. It doesn't change my predictions. I predicted Iowa would lose to Penn State. I thought it'd be closer, obviously. Uh, and I predicted Iowa would lose to Wisconsin. I had them at 10 and 2. That doesn't change. I still think that the schedule is cake. Michigan State's a disaster. Uh, I don't care if Northwestern beat Minnesota. Iowa ought to go into Wrigley and win. Um, Minnesota looks vulnerable. Uh, Illinois looks bad, or at least they've taken a big step back from last year. And Nebraska is completely unproven still. Iowa should be able to win 9, 10 games. And I said preseason, if they can have a top 80 offense, they got a chance to compete for a Big Ten title. Uh, I got a, a, I guess, a, an update, status update for everybody. They don't have a top 80 offense. Okay. They have a marginally better offense. The the numbers, like right now in FBS, total offense right now in FBS, I think they're 129 out of 130 teams. You know, if you compare that to where they were last year at this time, that's about the same. I will say this. They didn't have a Penn State on the road. Like the numbers from Saturday really damaged those numbers. Okay. So I just want to make that clear. Um, well, of course they did, but that's part of the story. I know it's part of the story. I'm simply saying that those, I, I don't think they'll be 129th in total offense at the end of the year based on the schedule uh, and based on the criteria we've talked about heading into the year and the upgrades they made. I mean, Cade McNamara, he, through five of 14 for 42 yards, the numbers were no better than what we've seen from Spencer Petrus. But I think anybody with a working brain would say that Cade McNamara is a big upgrade from Spencer Petrus. Yes, big upgrade. I and agree with I, that, but there might be something else that. leading into, uh, you know, whether it's injuries, whether it's Cade McNamara's health issues that are causing him to play worse than Spencer Petrus. I don't think he's playing worse than Spencer Petrus. I think that's that's well, all. his numbers are worse. I'll put it that way. I don't know if he's playing worse. Number worse than what? Have you seen Spencer Petrus's numbers? Did, Did you Spencer Petrus ever go five for 14 for 42 yards against anybody? I saw him throw four picks, throw one touchdown, four picks at home against Purdue, an unranked Purdue team in 2021. I mean, we can go through his game log last year. He didn't play at, he didn't, he played at Ohio state. Should we look at his, let's look at his, oh, I know he was horrible. I know that he was horrible. He was horrible. Um, but I mean, Kate McNamara has been pretty, Kate McNamara has been pretty, I'm not even going to say marginal for four games. He's been fairly lousy. Have you watched the games, Mark? Uh, I saw the, the, the Penn state Iowa game. I was keeping track of, I did not see the first three games. Because context is very important with this conversation. I think sure. I think what 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 needs to be reminded to anybody who 
would make a comment like you just made, and I'm not saying you're incorrect, but he is dinged up. He is not healthy right now. I mean, he's just not. And like that's part of that's luck of the draw. Part of that I think is is poor management. I I, I felt like and now I feel even stronger. And, and I know hindsight's twenty twenty, but I said it after the Iowa State game. They should have shut him down. Western Michigan week and taking a shot at getting him healthy. They decided not to do that. And now he's probably not going to be healthy the rest of the year. So it is what it is. Um, but the difference is Spencer Peters was healthy last year. Cade McNamara is not healthy this year. Um, and it's just too small of a sample size as of right now. I, I just, uh, he missed a lot of camp for Cade. It's too small of a sample size. Now everything working around him. Yeah, we can we can talk about that because he's only one piece of the puzzle. But I, I just I'm hesitant to be overly critical about Cade at this point, this early, given his injury and how much time he missed, etc. It is too small of a sample size, but that's the point that I'm making is that in this sample size, he has been pretty lousy. Yes, he has. But l- let me just real quick, you, you you made a comment, and you're all about evidence. 2021, I just looked this up. 2021, Spencer Petrus. Uh, at Wisconsin, he went nine of nineteen for ninety-three yards. Um, nine of nineteen for ninety-three yards um, against Nebraska. He went, or excuse me, against Michigan in the Big Ten championship game. He went nine of twenty-two, forty-one percent through the year for one hundred and thirty-seven yards. And last year at Ohio State, he was six of fourteen for forty-two point nine percent, forty-nine yards. So he had several games like Kate yeah. McNamara had Saturday, mm-hmm. and. I think uh, Penn State's defense is probably better than all those defenses. Uh, I think it's probably better than the Wisconsin defense of two years ago. I think it's probably better than the Michigan defense of two years ago. It's probably better than Ohio State's defense of last year. It it was impressed by the defense. I mean, I I think that's a really good Penn State team. Um, Believe me, I'm not taking any blame away from Iowa and from everybody that was involved. I know. And I touted that Penn State defense. I'm right there with you. I Before... We got to see it on display against Iowa. Yeah, I, I was uh, touting this defense and how good it is. But you know what, Mark? I I think, um, I said this before. I had no doubt that that Penn State's got a lot of pros and that they're really athletic. And obviously, they showed that on Saturday. Um, Iowa's defense was on the field the entire day, so it looks like I know that the narrative is out there. Even Kirk kind of fed that a little bit today. That you know nothing looked good. I thought that was a Maybe a poor choice of words because I thought the defense actually looked good at times. Go back to the first quarter of that game. Iowa actually did its job. Like they were winning the first, I don't even know how many minutes, eight to 10 minutes of the game. Remember, it was 10 0 at halftime, which, you know, 10 0, you haven't scored, but they're in the game at halftime. But in the first quarter, Iowa actually got the better start. They drove the, they got a first down on the first drive of the game, ended up flipping the field, punted down inside the five, uh, nearly got a safety. Mm-hmm. Um, on the Penn State offense, forced a punt out of the end zone, had a nice return. That's, I mean, that's Iowa football right there. That was exactly how Iowa wanted to start the game. Then they pick up another first down, and then Eric All picks up another first down, doesn't protect the football, fumbles the ball away, and the game totally changed after that. Now, we don't know what would have happened had Eric All not fumbled the football. I have no doubt that it would not have been 31 0. I'm not saying Iowa would have won. I'm just saying it's kind of like the Michigan game in 31 3. What? 31 3. Yeah, I don't. Agree I, that. That's I don't not agree changing that the game. All. That's not changing the game. When the when two teams are there's that much separation between two teams and their performance, I'm not buying that that changes the game. Well, you don't have to buy it if you don't want to. But the bottom line is, I this is how Iowa has created its margin for error year after year after year. This is why they can have performances like in 2016 against a top five Michigan team where they win at home where a week before they get blown out on the road at Penn State, the margin for error is this big. And if Iowa doesn't turn the ball over, if they don't have a punt go off of Brendan Diaz-Fernandez's back, you can survive with awful offensive numbers and still be in the game late. That's what I'm saying. So if Eric Ald doesn't fumble the ball there in the first quarter and they cash in and score first, that's at least a six-point swing because Penn State got a, a field goal off that turnover. They were in the red zone, had a first down. Even if they don't get a touchdown, it's a field goal. That's a six-point swing, maybe a 10-point swing. That's what I'm saying. And then the, the game potentially changes after that, Mark. This is how Iowa football operates. You I know understand that. that, but I don't de- agree with it to that degree. Well, because for one thing, if Iowa scores there, let's say they kick a field goal there, 
they are kicking off to Penn State. So Penn State's receiving the ball in the same manner in which they received the ball, maybe just had better field position getting the turnover. You and I both know that momentum is totally different getting the ball off of a kickoff and getting the ball off of a turnover. Giving up points versus creating a turnover is a totally different, especially in front of that crowd. Yeah, again, uh, taking in what those two teams delivered, I just don't think it's a game regardless. Well, yeah, would would Iowa have scored points? Yeah, they would have most likely kicked a field goal. There was no evidence of them being able to drive the ball into the end zone to score a touchdown in that game. But there was evidence in the first quarter of Iowa being able to control the field, which is what they do to win and create first downs. So my point is, if if they get on top, then they have a shot. They give themselves a shot in any game. This is what they've done. They cannot play from behind. So immediately when you turn the ball over early, you're minus two in turnovers in the first half. The game's over. That's that's the fault in how in Iowa's philosophy the game is over in that instance. I'm simply saying if they scored a touchdown that drive or got a field goal, my guess is it's yeah Penn State probably wins and we're just totally guessing because we don't know. But I would my guess would be something more like Penn State twenty Iowa ten or something like that. I just don't. I think the the, the way Iowa plays and, it, and it, it's I'm not compliment to Iowa. Believe me, I'm not defending Iowa at all. I think it's stupid that you were so dependent on not making one crucial error early or else I go back to the Michigan game. It's very similar to me, Mark, in 2021. You remember that. Iowa lost, what, 42 to three to Michigan in the Big Ten Championship game? And I, and you people can call this delusional all they want. Believe me, it's not being a homer. But I look, watch that game, and Iowa had a halfback pass to Monty Potabom in the end zone that went over his shoulder. Had he caught that on the first drive of the game, Iowa's up 7-0. I think it changes that game. Now, does Iowa win? Probably not. But believe you me, it ain't a forty-point differential, and it's not—it's not a thirty-three-point differential. I don't—I think there's more accounted for for scoring first, for having momentum. I mean, Iowa lives off those things: field position, all those things. They shouldn't be so dependent on it, but it is. I will agree it's with you that we don't know. I will also agree with you that there would have been a different score in the Big Ten championship game. I don't know that it would have either made it more competitive throughout the rest of the game. It may have. I'm not debating that. But I tend to think that Michigan just snaps back into place and rolls them so it's (laughs) 42-10. I'm just saying, but history doesn't agree with you, Mark. Uh, We don't know if history agrees with me because we can't see the alternate universe. That doesn't exist. I'm talking about evidence that we do have Iowa in games against elite opponents. When they get out in front, they don't get blown out. That's what I'm saying. 2017 Penn State, 2016 Michigan, 2017 Ohio State, uh, 2018 at Penn State. They do not get blown out typically. That's all I'm saying. If they can get ahead early and avoid mistakes. When they don't do that, they're going to get blown out. And that's what happened. It's happened almost every time in the last three years. They've gotten blown out by every elite opponent they've played. Okay, so we have an offense that ranks 131 in the nation. And I am going to state a prediction here that there's not going to be any offense in the Big Ten that is going to get shut out by Penn State and only produce 76 yards. So that was obviously a horrendous performance. To the defense of Iowa... They were missing one of the best tight ends in the country, but you have to play on, of course. Uh, that's that's a position of strength, but they were missing their very best. Uh, and they're two top running backs. And, uh, you know, those are injuries that they're going to have to continue to play with. Uh, I don't know the status of Jazz Patterson and Caleb Johnson. Well, they're out again this week. Kirk made that clear today. And I'm not going to just get on here and just absolutely come down on Kirk Ferentz. Middle of the season, we're four games in, but I listened to Kirk Ferentz's presser today, and I'll be very respectful of how I, I say this. I just heard a bunch of excuses again. I heard a bunch of excuses and no solutions. And that's what my my pot, the, I'm going to be releasing a podcast this evening with a five-star women's basketball recruit that committed to Iowa recently, but it's also going to be half about football. And the title of the podcast is going to be Many Words, No Solutions. 
because I, you don't hear anything substantial from Kirk ever in these press conferences other than we have to keep working. And some people like that. They're like, yeah, what, what else are you going to say? You just got to keep getting back to work. But the problem is, Mark, we have th- this is year three of this same putrid offense. And it's not just year three, but it's year three of being historically bad. And we continue to be told the same thing. We just got to get back to work. Well, it's not working. You know, somebody the other day on the postgame show said with, with Coach Patterson on, Kirk has earned the right to fix this. You know how many times I've heard that? Kirk has earned the right to fix this. I've been hearing that for two and a half years. <laughs> okay. Like, yeah, sure. I agreed with you. I, I agreed with you the first time you said it, the second time you said it, the third time you said it. But at some point, when do we say, okay, he's had time to fix it and it's not getting fixed. I got a, I got a memo for you, Mark. He's had time to fix it. It's not getting fixed. Now, that does not mean I think the season's over and that I've lost interest. Like I said at the outset, I still think they win 10 games. I think that's insane to think about, but given the schedule and given what I think is going to still be a very good defensive unit, they weren't great Saturday, but they're on the field 97 plays. They're going to be okay. They'll be fine. Phil will make more adjustments. They'll be fine. Um, And they have a chance to win the schedule, but that's why moving into next year, we've talked about it, the schedule getting tougher. This will be the last year that I foresee being able to do what they're doing and survive based on this style and this philosophy and obviously, it's going to be a really, really dynamic, interesting offseason because of the Brian Ferentz contract and conference realignment and the continued evolution of the portal and NIL. All of this stuff is just going to make this coming offseason historic for Iowa fans, Iowa football fans. So, yeah, I don't know. I just listened to Kirk today and I just heard a lot of excuses. I, I just don't know what else. To, like, it just to me, it seems like a lot of lip service and... I don't know what I expect him to say, Mark, when, when he gets up there and they ask him the same questions they asked him a year ago and two years ago about the offense and how can it be this bad and how do you get it on track and what why isn't the offensive line looking better? And he just kind of gives you the same answer. So what do you do? What do you say? I, I, I don't have the answer. The powers that be at the Big Ten office are overjoyed to be ushering and, of course, for exceptional programs, to some degree exceptional. I'm reaching with UCLA, but still really good programs. And uh, this being the last year of this division status, because as you started to outline, this leads me into possibly, this sounds like a video that I would enjoy doing. I'm going to go through the history of the Big Ten Western Division. This is the lowest point of the Big Ten West. There has usually been somebody who's been what I would term good, they're a good team. They've not typically been able to challenge the East, which is an elite team, but very good team. We've had competitive Big Ten championship games. But man, you look at all these teams, and I don't disagree with you that Iowa could show up at the Big Ten championship game at 10 and 2, having slogged through a bunch of 16 to 10 wins over Minnesota and Illinois and so forth. Or maybe they trip up, but. Uh, if they if they trip up a few times, uh, yeah, I don't know that these teams are capable of tripping them up. Yeah, I mean that's why I say I think I was defensive unit is probably the best singular unit in in the division. Yes, sure. Yeah, I, it's, uh, I was going to mention Nate Stanley real quick because we were talking about into individual performances. Uh, let me find the game log so. The, the year 2017 comes to mind, and, and I'm certainly not comparing this offense to 2017, 18, 19, because actually during the – we've talked about this. That, those were Brian years, but those were the first few years of the Brian's, Brian Ferentz era, and you had so much talent. I mean, not that they don't have talent at tight end, and they lose Luke Lachey, but they had TJ Hawkinson and, and uh, you know, Noah Fant, and, you know, Akram Wadley was dynamic at times, and they had, they had pieces, and Nate Stanley was obviously solid – but I look back at 2017, I think a lot of average fans would forget this, Mark. Uh, Nate Stanley went 20 of 31 for 226 yards and five touchdowns in a dominant victory at home against Ohio State in 2017. The following week, do you remember what his stat line was? Who'd they play? Wisconsin, on the road. Did they lose that 21-7? Yes, I'm sorry, tw- uh, no, uh, they scored 14 in that points, uh, 14 points in that game because Josh Jackson had two pick sixes in that game. Yeah. 
Um, I don't know the final score, but his final, Nate's final stat line, Mark, was 8 of 24 for 41 yards. So I guess my point is when I bring this up, like as bad as Saturday was, that game back in 2017 was preceded by a, a terrific offensive performance. So is it possible that Saturday was a one-off? Yes, it's possible. It's possible. Is it is it likely? Do I believe in that? No, I don't, because the last two and a half years have been different. Yes. But 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 I, I'm just saying I'm not giving up on the team yet. I'm not giving up on the offense being better yet. I still I still believe in Cade as a as a quarterback, as a leader, etc. I think he's leaps and bounds ahead of where Iowa was a year ago at that position. I really like the receivers that Iowa has. Um, you know, they're they're banged up at, at running back and they're banged up at tight end with Lachey down. But the bottom line is the consistent theme, and this was brought up in the press conference today, is the play caller, the scheme, all these things is has remained the same. And regardless, you've changed all the I mean, I I talked to somebody who's more in touch with Iowa than I am as far as connection to the program and to the powers that be. And this person expressed the same exact thing to me over the weekend. This person said, you know, I, uh, he said, I, I tell you, Corey, I was convinced in the off season that, or I at least was semi convinced based on what Kirk Ferentz told the media and told everybody that a lot of these issues were personnel related, but man, we've added a quarterback in the, in the transfer portal. We've added a, a you know, future draft pick in Eric All, a tight end in the transfer portal. We added a pretty good receiver in Seth Anderson, who's proven he can be a playmaker. And, you know, we've had another year for this offensive line to grow up. And they added a couple of pieces up there from the transfer portal. And it looks the same. It looks the same. <laughs> and I'm just like, I, I, all I said was, bro, I never believed it was personnel. You go back and watch my shows. Mark, you never, you knew I never bought into that theory. Now I thought, they needed we've we've been touting that for two years. They needed a personnel upgrade at quarterback. They needed it at a lot of those positions, but that was not the crux of the issue. When you have problems all over the place, what's the common denominator? And they are not addressing the common denominator. The common denominator is the offensive philosophy, the scheme, the play caller. I, I'm convinced of that. And I've heard people say, well, it'd be the same offense regardless if 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 Kirk hires someone else, it's the same offense because it's his his philosophy. And I, in large part, I, I kind of agree with that. Do I think it, it's kind of like uh, adding McNamara out of the portal at quarterback? Do I think McNamara helps the offense be better? Yes. Do I think adding a different coordinator that's much more qualified to call plays and coach quarterbacks would help the offense? Yes. But the ceiling is still limited based upon who the head coach is and how he coaches and his philosophy. And that's an unfortunate reality that I think Iowa fans are starting to face. And you've seen enough out of Seth Anderson to believe that he can be a playmaker in the Big Ten against Big Ten defenses. I'm not. No, it, it, I know I'm questioning that, but I'm just wanting a little bit more information because you reposted a tweet from our guy Elliot Clough about there being only, I believe, the number was 14 receptions by wide receivers this season. Correct? Was that the number? It was something like that. I guess so. Yeah. 31 targets, 14 receptions, something like that. Against the easiest part of the schedule, plus Penn State. Uh, but yeah. you've seen enough out of Seth Anderson. Well, I, I mean, comparative to what I've seen out of Iowa Whiteouts in past years, I saw him, you know, with a really nice double move, take the top off the Utah State defense on the second play from scrimmage. I saw him make a really athletic catch uh, over a defender. Uh, against Iowa State Week Two, um, I've saw, I've seen him create separation on other plays. I'm just this is all relative to what we're used to seeing out of Iowa Whiteouts, Mark. And like Charlie, the Charlie Jones example is per, like I saw somebody somebody commented on on my channel over the weekend. Well, maybe we just had to come to terms with that Caleb Brown's not as good as we thought he was. What a stupid comment. I said, do we really have to revisit the, the Charlie Jones situation? What a stupid comment. I mean, come on. Like, seriously, I'm not saying Caleb Brown's the next, you know, Marvin Harrison, but I'm just simply saying no perform. I don't care what these whiteouts do. It doesn't prove anything about them to me. No. Because I've seen people like Charlie Jones that looked average at best in the Iowa offense go to Purdue and was maybe the best receiver in college football. So... You know, it's here's here's can I say a couple of things? I saw somebody in the chat uh, 
pre-show that said, I want to hear Corey rant. I was not in the mood to rant today, but I will say this. I will rant about one thing, Mark. You know what's absolutely unacceptable, in my opinion? In my opinion, it's unacceptable that Caleb Brown has zero catches. That's what's unacceptable. Four weeks into the season, the Ohio State wide receiver transfer has zero catches. That's a disgrace. That is a disgrace. And Kirk was asked today about... Iowa's inability to get the wide receivers the ball, and he doubled down on, well, sometimes it's just the ball goes where the ball goes. You know, commit yourself to saying, we got to get these guys more involved. Commit yourself to saying that, because guess what? A lot of people who are on social media this week are right about this. If they don't get these guys involved, I said this preseason, Caleb Brown will be gone. He'll be done. He'll be out the door next year. And I wouldn't be shocked if Seth Anderson is out the door. And I would, I'll tell you this right now, if that happens, and it's based on, what we're seeing currently out of this offense and play calling and lack of wide receiver involvement, I won't blame them one bit. I will praise them. I will praise them for making that decision because they're making a good life decision. Um, you think Charlie Jones would have been had that opportunity to return that kick against uh, or for Cincinnati the other day for a touchdown had he not transferred to Purdue? I don't. I don't think he was getting drafted and having that opportunity as a special teams specialist guy at Iowa. So I, I just, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's convoluted. It's messy. And we've got uh, two-thirds of the season still left. And I think they're going to win this Saturday. But it's a must-win, Mark. Like, they have to win this Saturday. You cannot lose to Michigan State. If they lose to Michigan State, things could start crumbling down. Yeah, I, I just can't foresee them losing to Michigan State. But then again, when the offensive performance is that putrid then there is an opportunity for somebody michigan state does have players they're just in disarray who knows what the motivation is but they were within uh they were in the red zone deep in the red zone like inside the 10 yard line to give maryland a bit of a game at one juncture now i know they got blown out 31 9 but i think they were within six seven yards of making it 24 16 in the third quarter. So, you know, it was a fairly competitive game for a while. So they didn't get just completely destroyed by Maryland. So if I've got lose, one question for you. As you say, if they lose to Michigan state, then it is torches and pitchforks because they are a mess though. I mean, yes. regardless of how competitive they were against Maryland, yeah. they've got, they've gotten beat their last two opponents. They've had like these last two weeks, their, their margin of, of loss has been like 60 points. Yes. So, Iowa should be able to, under the lights, at Kinnick, at home, with the defense alone, win this game. Think of this. I'll check the uh, numbers for the Michigan State defense versus Maryland. But the previous week, and I know it's Michael Penix, and he's a top three to four quarterback in the country with an excellent wide receiver room. But they put up more yardage on Michigan State than any team in history. That was the Michigan State record defensively. Gave up 700 Gave up 713 yards of total offense. I know Iowa fans have never heard a number anything close to 713 yards of total offense in a game in which Michael Penix sat out the fourth quarter and they didn't even throw the ball. They could have thrown up like 900 yards of total offense. That's crazy. Right. And Michigan State's secondary was never even good under Mel Tucker. No. Let's just make that no. clear. So it's obviously uh, probably got, gotten worse now. Maybe week three they rally behind this interim coach. Maybe it just takes a few weeks and they, you know, and that's possible. But it, regardless of that, it doesn't take the onus away from Iowa that they have to take care of business. Corey, I've got a question for you. And then we'll segue to maybe something that we should do a little bit more often is go to viewer comments from the week and maybe select some of our favorite viewer comments. But this comment is somewhat representative of the entire, not the entire fan base, of a portion of the fan base. So before we get to that, you mentioned during your rant that you expect this offense or not necessarily expect, but you believe that there's an opportunity for it to be functional, productive, you know, in your eyes, what does that look like on the high, on the reasonable high end for Iowa the rest of the year? Well, I made that comment preseason. What I said a few minutes ago was I think they'll be better than they are now. I think they'll, you know, I don't know what that looks like from a numbers perspective. You know, Kirk Ferentz will tell you he doesn't care about the stats. And he's talked about not caring about total offense. And he emphasized that again today. Their main priority is winning. I understand. I understand. 
But when you have all these stats, they're all reflections of, you know, how bad Iowa's offense has been. Um, and, and I can read you. Do you want me to read you some of these stats, Mark? Let me make one statement. Winning is why these football programs make so much money and people come to the stadium and watch on TV and all that. Yes, it's bottom line against about winning. There are a lot of other periphery things that are great. Uh, we want the players to graduate, have productive lives, blah, 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 all that sort of thing. But yes, the reason there's so much money involved is because these coaches are paid to win. But at the same time, the the way in which you win or lose also forbades what it's going to look like in the future. So if Kirk Ferentz was sitting right here, he could not convince me. And if he did, then I just wouldn't know where his head is because he knows so much more about football than I do, that he wouldn't feel better or have a more optimistic outlook today if they would have lost that game, not 31 nothing, 31-28, with 400 yards of total offense, like he would, ha he wouldn't have a different perspective on the status of their team right now. <laughs> That's ridiculous. It, it's, if they it, lost a barn burner to Penn State on the road on a last second field goal, 31 28, so the defense was statistically the same, that he wouldn't have a different view on his football team. I do think his his stance, his doubling, tripling, quadrupling down on, on his stance of complimentary football, which Iowa, we know, doesn't play complimentary football, but he likes to say that they do, and that's how they win games. They don't care about stats. Part of that is his philosophy and how he's always coached, Mark, but that's been exacerbated or increased, elevated due to how bad the offense has been and his need to figure out a way to defend it. So it's been exacerbated because of that. And... You know, I, 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 I've seen a lot of criticism over the past few days about Kirk. And I mentioned that segment that I posted here in the channel earlier today about Ferentz fatigue. And I've heard more and more people say this. And the people have been saying this for a long time, but they're ready to move on from Kirk. I had somebody that called in on Saturday um, during the postgame show that said, uh, I love Kirk. Great man. He's done so much for this program. Just just love the guy. He's a, he's a great dude, and I agree with that. But I'm ready to move on. And I respect that take. I, I, I absolutely respect that take. And I'm not going to comment at this moment how I feel about the situation. To me, that's a conversation that we can have more openly at the end of the year. Um, but I understand. I'll just say this, I understand where people are coming from when they say that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that. All good things come to an end. All good coaches' tenures come to an end eventually. He's been... He's the longest tenured coach in the FBS. He's been here forever. Um, the The offense is in a, a precarious situation. I don't know how Brian makes that twenty five point per game mark. Mark, I don't. I really don't because he's at twenty. What is he at twenty one point three or something like that? And they better put up a lot of points this weekend against Michigan State because that's probably the worst defense left on the schedule. Frankly, that's probably the worst defense left on the schedule. Now, they better be scoring points this weekend. Um, I just I don't know how they possibly make that mark. And so then the question becomes, what happens when they don't? What happens when they don't? And I don't think we're having that conversation enough. Maybe it's premature to have that conversation because we're four games in. But what happens when they don't? Because Gary Bart is no longer there. He's the one who released that measure publicly. Beth Getz is the interim AD. What happens to Brian? When he's no longer, because it's not just about that bonus, Mark. It, it talked uh, that contract stipulation said that his contract would not be the current contract would not be renewed. So that doesn't explicitly say he's going to be fired, but it does give the implication to people that he's at risk of not continuing as as the OC. So I, I don't have an answer for you. I think either way, if if somehow Kirk gets Brian to stay another year or Brian gets Kirk to let him stay, another, whatever, whatever happens there, I just can't imagine next year and the years to come being like they have in the last three years where you're still winning eight to ten games a year in spite of historically bad offenses. You're just not going to be able to get away with that. You, Mark, you know this. Like I, before, before the season started, we got that news about conference realignment in Oregon and Washington and USC. Have you seen these offenses? <laughs> like, it actually oh, makes me laugh. It me. makes me happy. It makes me giggly, uh, goofy, because I'm actually 
excited because I understand that next year, no matter what, the enabling cannot continue. It can't. It cannot continue next year and in and, and the years to come because guess what? Oregon 8, they're not a doormat of the Pac-12. Washington's really good. Um, I mean, the heck, they just blew out the team I was playing this weekend by like 40. Uh, and that game was in East Lansing, wasn't it? Yes. Okay. Uh, Oregon, Oregon just, you know, they just squashed Colorado over the weekend, which I was not shocked by. And then USC, talk about offense behind Lincoln Riley. Of course, Caleb Williams will be gone, but still, I mean, it's just, they're not going to be able to get away with it. And then you add in the fact that they're going to have to play those East opponents even more, Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan. What, what's what's going to happen? What, yeah. what, where are you going to run? Where Can't are you going to see next year's schedule? It's going to be, and of course yeah. you don't play all of them, but you will play roughly but every year. You're going to play some of them. Oh, absolutely. Multiple if you consider one. Ohio state, Michigan, Penn state and the four schools, you just, or say the three schools you just mentioned from the PAC 12, those six to be the elite UCLA's UCLA's in my, they're no jokes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but if you consider those the six that you would want to avoid, you're going to see three of them on average, three to four of them on average, instead of seeing maybe one from the other division. Right. Like yeah, it has exactly. been, you know, the, Which the is schedule just year. goes like that. <laughs> Which is what they have this year. And then it's an it's the second year for Luke Fickle at Wisconsin. And I, I still have not lost confidence in Matt Rule getting it done at Nebraska. We're four games yeah. into his tenure. Like all these things are going to be like Purdue shown some life. I mean, they haven't looked great, but first year head coach there as well. I mean, we've talked about it. Northwestern's going to have a first year head coach. Purdue played the kind of non conference schedule. It would have been interesting to see Iowa play. Well, Virginia Tech's horrible. They're, they're horrible. Yes, they are. But Fresno State, you know, some teams with some life do them. It would have been. It would have been just interesting. Syracuse. So you just don't think Utah State has any life? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> I, I have not kept up with Utah State. I don't know what they did last. Well, they played Air Force, right? What, yeah, they what day was that? That might have been the week before. Anyway, we appreciate uh, Thor your contribution. Thank you so much for that. Uh, do you think that BF has such an ego? as a tight end guru that he focuses the game plan around them and ignores the wide receivers. Well, that would be foolish if that is his tact. I can't imagine. That's not uh, what it is. He, he should be, if he has an ego, his ego would be that we have a top offense and we're producing points and yardage and people are patting me on the back. I think that would be the incentive. Nobody is patting Brian Ferentz on the back for having eight times the amount of targets to his tight ends and his receivers. Nobody. Okay. If anything, he should be looking for it. If anything, if he's trying to feed the ego and, and pat himself on the back, Mark, he's labeled as the quarterback's coach. Wouldn't you want to do everything you can to produce big numbers for your quarterback? Not five for 14, 42 yards. By the way, Utah State lost to James Madison over the weekend uh, at home. Seven-point win for James Madison. James Madison's a good program. Beat Virginia, beat Troy. Um, so I don't know verdict verdicts out on Utah state, but they are one, one and three. I'll give you that. They're one and three. Um, they've lost to three, probably good teams, but, um, yeah, we'll see. They got UConn this weekend and they get Colorado state. All right. Let's check out, uh, this comment from a viewer. So hang with us here. Please read this whole comment, Mark, with with the punctuation that's, okay. that's in the comment. Like, don't don't change it to fit your proper procedural stuff. Read it as it's written. <laughs> my proper procedural stuff. I will do my best. I will have to go to the other tab and blow it up for one thing. Okay, let me take a deep breath. Hold on. Make sure you introduce it. Donald Countryman. What is the number? That is a Donald Countryman at 7878. Okay. Just one hour ago. Yep. Hot off the presses, folks. <laughs> Let me clear the deck here. There we go. So we've got 
Look, Ference has had his time to make Iowa a top-tier team, and he's failed miserably. We finally have a quality quarterback on our team who's accurate passer. Our defense has always been great unless they get wore out by being on the field the entire game, special teams, and field goal kicker and punter above average. So here's my question. Why were, why were we so lousy against Penn State? Not even a field goal on the board. Offensive line left holes big enough to drive a semi through and just Horrible play calling, not to mention no halftime adjustments were made. Are we, the fans, supposed to accept this garbage year after year, miserable year, or demand Ference to produce a Big Ten championship team now that we have all the pieces of the puzzle to accomplish this goal? I say yes, we have the right to expect nothing less. Whoa! Then a Big Ten championship team he's got to produce or find another job he's getting paid way too much not to folks we've suffered enough as fans this mediocre crap has got to go or kirk and brian have to go that's just the bottom line boys you know <laughs> real quick i know listen i'm not trying to make fun of anybody i promise but here's the deal here's what i find really funny about that that's first of all it's the longest run-on sentence i've ever seen in my life but i find funny and mike brings it up in the chat it's not like donald countryman 78 78 doesn't have access to punctuation or doesn't know how to find it. He used apostrophes throughout and he ended the whole thing with a period. (laughs) I just think that's funny. Yeah. So do we believe that uh, a large portion of the fan base feels the same way? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of them. I think it's that, that, that crowd is growing. And I mean, Saturday was rough. Saturday was rough. We had 1,200 people on live at one time at one point in our post-game show, Mark. I mean, it was just and, – and we had we were up until – I was up till 2.30 in the morning with Don taking calls. We had over 400 people on when we got off at 2.30 in the morning. I mean, it was just incredible. There was, we, we've talked about it every year. Iowa fans are as passionate as they come. But I am I, – I totally get the Ferentz fatigue thing, and I'll, I'll take it a step further. I do think it's absolutely unfair to the program – and to even the Hayden Fry era and the coaches and what was built then, and even go back into Forrest Evashevsky years, not like they haven't had bad uh, periods of time. But I really think it's unfair to the program as a whole when fans say they constantly, like this got brought up several times on Saturday to bring up Nebraska. Like it's amazing how much Iowa fans that are apologists for the current issues bring up Nebraska and basically acknowledge the fact that they're, they wish to continue down the road of this program being run out of fear, out of fear of having a, a debacle like Nebraska has experienced since letting Pelini go. And they bring up that anecdotal evidence every time. And I thought it was really unfortunate. There were several times today during Kirk's presser, and I give Kirk credit. Like, there's nothing. He's going to make you cringe. There's no real good way to recover with the media after a 31-0 loss when you have those types of numbers. But I did cringe when he made the comment today, he brought up uh, coaching changes. Somebody else actually brought it up, and I, and I thought it was interesting. Somebody in the media asked him, have you considered, given the fact that you've had these issues and the common denominator seems to be scheme and play caller, have you thought about making a change with either of those things? And Kirk said uh, that that's not what they're looking at, but uh, it's it, you know they evaluate things after every season, you know, whatever. But what I thought was interesting is he brought up an experience. He said, I, I've, I've really tried to run this. Uh, I don't want to paraphrase him incorrectly. I've kind of tried to run this uh, with full knowledge of other examples on how other success stories are lack thereof. And he brought up an, a story from like 40. He said 40 years ago. I think he said 40 years ago of some team. I don't know if it was in the NFL or a college football team that I guess got around who he's talking about. But you should listen to it. You might be able to figure it out. But apparently made a coaching change and they were player led for the rest of the season. And they had a great finish to the season, but the next year they were terrible. It was a something about a player led um, situation. Like a, like they, they got rid of the coach and, and one of the players took over as the coach and it worked out for a while, but then it went into the dumps the next year. And he used that as evidence to kind of support the idea that coaching changes usually aren't the answer seemed to me that was his the narrative that was being pushed there. I'll have to send that clip to you because I, it was a little bit odd, and it, it's just not a good look when you're bringing up a, a – you know, sometimes people think it's cute when Kirk brings up stories from 30, 40 years ago because in some cases it is kind of funny. You know, he's a 60-some-year-old guy, and he's got stories from back in the day. 
but not when we're talking about the situation with the sun and now when we're talking about this offense. And so that, that didn't make me, that didn't, wasn't real settling for me. In a sense, he's telling us that it doesn't matter who's coaching. Well, if it's not going to help things to change coaches, then it doesn't matter who's coaching. I thought it was an interesting comment, but by, by uh, who were uh, the question? I can't remember who the media member, and I'd be happy to give them a plug. I, I can't remember who the media member was, but whoever asked that question about play caller change, like I don't think that's going to happen. But it is something that I haven't really considered here so far this year. Like other teams have made cordon, uh, play calling changes during the season, so in other words, Brian could literally just not be fired, but he could just be relieved of his duties. Would that? Would he have to? eat a, a slice of humble pie sure um would the media find out would the public need to know probably probably would um I, I guess i don't know the answer to that question but that is an interesting topic is there anybody on the staff that could take over play calling duties if if push came to shove if if ference was willing if kirk was willing to accept that which i don't think he is i don't know i mean i don't know that there's anybody on the staff right now that you trust ken o'keefe is is not part of the full-time staff and you know, Kelton Copeland's a former quarterback, but I, I sure wouldn't give those duties to him for, you know, for anything. He's never done it. I know that this offense is criticized for being archaic. And I often have said that I believe play calling is generally overrated, but it is important. So I sometimes get misquoted in saying that it's not important. It is important. I think it's one of Iowa's, I think it's one of Iowa's biggest issues, Mark. I think it's Iowa's one of Iowa's biggest issues is their play calling. I got to think there was a player development issue as well. I'm not saying it's not an issue, but I don't, you can't convince me for a second that Charlie Jones was developed to that extent when he got over to Purdue for in, in, in two months. Remember he transferred over there in June and all well, of a sudden they run a completely out. different style of offense. Exactly. So style and play calling. That's what I'm saying. Those two things. And Jeff Brom is a tremendous play caller. He's known as a tremendous play caller. And yes, his scheme is set up. His offense is set up to produce stats for his receivers. I get that. But that's what I'm saying. I think, yeah, player development might be a problem, but I don't think it's for lack of talent. I, I just, they've got some talent at wide receiver. I think Reganey's a talented receiver. I think Seth Anderson, Caleb Brown is talented. They got really talented tight ends. I think they got really talented running backs. Now, maybe their their offensive line isn't quite as talented as it should be, which is sad when you think about the fact that Iowa's got offensive line gurus out the wazoo on the staff. I don't know about that either. I, 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 I'm I no line guru, but I almost think, you know, the the claims that, hey, it's the scheme and it's, you know, they've ran a little bit more gap this year in the run game than in past seasons. But I don't know. You're grasping at straws trying to figure out what the common denominator is when you have all these different players producing the same results year after year. On offense. Yeah, the only team in the Big Ten that I can think of that runs a similar style of offense and has a similar, now nobody has it to their degree, but a similar style of offense that's effective is Michigan. Yeah, but the difference is Michigan has elite talent. So I was just curious, something we can never answer if, if Michigan was running the same exact plays as Iowa. All I know is, is, is and I'm not the only one who made this comment, but uh, it just seemed, and I've had several people reach out to me and say this, it seemed like on Saturday, uh, one of Iowa's issues that they have is the first couple drives seem to be well orchestrated, like they're scripted out, and there's nothing wrong with that. It seems to be working. And then after that, it's like Brian's drawing plays out of a hat. I mean, that's seriously how it feels. And what's odd about it is maybe we haven't noticed such a stark pattern as we have this year. But Mark, think think to Saturday against Penn State. First drive, they moved the ball a little bit. Second drive, they moved the ball a little bit before the fumble. Those were when they that those two drives were their most effective drives. If there were any drives in the game, they were moving the ball decently well in those first two drives. And then it went away. Uh go back to the Utah State game. Second play from scrimmage. Deep ball to Seth Anderson. Second drive, they score a touchdown. Can't do anything after that. I think they scored, what, one touchdown late? Um, you look at the the uh, Iowa State game, same thing. They had it going early, and then you know you get the 59-yard run by Jazz Patterson, and they, 
they got things going and then they just completely stall out the rest of the game. That's a pattern. That's become a pattern. And it does feel like maybe things are scripted out for the first couple of drives. And then it's just like, we go right back to not having any idea what we're doing with play calling. It could be that it could also be that defensive coordinators are adjusting and Iowa has no sure. ability to adjust. But there back. were some, there, there were some plays called like on Saturday. I think there was what a, uh, was there a tunnel screen played Saturday uh, called Saturday? It was a uh, interesting little shovel pass to Eric all on the first, one of the first two drives that produced big yardage, stuff like that. I understand where you get behind the eight ball when the score and the de- defense can tee off on you. It's going to make things a lot harder for a team like Iowa. But I'm just saying like, those are the types of plays that seem like Iowa executes on the first couple of drives. And then we don't even see them attempt those plays. I mean, I go back to the Michigan game, the, the, the uh, big 10 championship game in 2021, Mark, remember the halfback pass. Remember how we made that comment the first drive? It was like, oh, wow, look at that. They tried a halfback pass. Look at Brian. He's got, he's got stuff up his sleeve. We didn't see another innovative play the rest of the game. I just don't think it's a coincidence that we're seeing those on the first drive or two, and then they disappear. But that also is an indication to me that we have the ability to throw a couple of unique plays out early. But if we don't understand how to call plays based on flow in a game and based on what the defense is doing, we're in trouble. And that's what we've experienced here these last the start of the season on offense. Yeah, there are a, a ton of components involved in calling a, a game effectively. One would be understanding your personnel, who does what well. Let's say, for example, your offensive line is not strong at pass protection. Well, you got to get the ball out of the quarterback's hands to protect your offensive line and not get your quarterback beat up. So that's only one of a zillion examples. Your, your guards aren't effective pulling. They're not quick enough to get where they need to get. So you may like to trap and, and pull, but you can't do it. Uh, or you need to pick your spots. You know, So there's that understanding of what your personnel can do well and what they can't do well. There's also you should have been able to scout the other team to know what, where their strengths and weaknesses lie. Uh, and then you should be able to self-scout to know, okay, how are they going to play us? Are we obvious? Have we been predictable? Well, we need to break tendencies. And I don't think we do any of that, Mark. And I say we, I'm not, you know, I don't think the Iowa coaching, the offensive coaching staff does any of that. And, and specific, that falls on Brian. He's a play caller. He's a QB's coach. He's the OC. We, I don't he, think they do any of that. You need to be able to run plays that set up future plays, give teams looks that will fool them later because you set them up and set them up. And then you ran something off of that that was different. And by the way, Matt in the chat, can I throw up a comment, Mark? Sure. He wants to know what if Brian wants to run that stuff, tries it, and Kirk scolds him. And he says, that's what, uh, then what's the explanation about why the play calling is so bad? Well, for one, let's just. Let's just look at the situation of who's calling plays. They hired a guy who's a former center who had no experience calling plays. And I'm not saying he hasn't consulted people. I'm sure he has. I mean, he, he would be he would be a fool if he's never consulted anybody who's an experienced play caller. But I can tell you, he hasn't consulted Don Patterson. He hasn't consulted Chuck Long. He has oh, there's a lot of guys who have Ben Smith, you know, they're not complaining about this. They said, no, Brian's never really consulted me about these things. These are guys who are well-connected to the program. Chuck Long is a Heisman finalist. Don Patterson, a QB guru himself. He coached offense at Iowa, and the offense was a lot more productive with, with Coach Patterson in the 90s than it is now. Um, you know, he's right in his backyard. He's in the building every week. You know, things like, and I'm sure he's consulted with John Budmeyer, but John Budmeyer, he's no seasoned play caller. Give me a break. He called plays for one year at, at Colorado State and was relieved of his duties. Now, maybe he's going to be a great play caller in his life, but I'm talking the big names. And that's why I asked Brian back during media day. I said, who have you consulted? And you remember his res- his response. He said, well, yeah, I was going to bring that up. That you have I ever, have I ever name dropped? Yeah. Well, he name dropped during the whole response, but he filibustered the rest. So my point is, like, I gave him an opportunity. I-, I asked him the question. I gave him the opportunity. Brian, who have you consulted? And he wouldn't tell me. Now, maybe that's just pride. He doesn't want to say, but isn't it also isn't it also a fair uh, cause for alarm that he can't name one person who's been instrumental in his 
his uh, learning the craft to play because it is a craft. It is a craft to play calling. I couldn't do it. I mean, I we can you and I can be critical, Mark, but I don't think you and I would either either of us would say, "Hey, I can go out there and you know call a game against the Penn State no. defense." But that's why we're not qualified for the job. That's why there's only certain people who are qualified for the job. I'm sure Brian and Brian knows a lot about football. Don't get me wrong, but that in answer to the question from Matt, I know it's a long. Uh, involved answer but I mean I don't think Kirk is and I know Don has said this on the on the air I don't think Kirk is micromanaging Brian during during play calling during on game day now he's working in with Kirk's philosophy I don't doubt that but ultimately play to play Kirk never called plays he he never called plays like even before he he was a head coach at Iowa he didn't call plays he was whole line coach in the NFL and you know, he's he had, was head coach at, at Maine for a while, but no, he he's not a play caller by nature. So no, he's not micromanaging that. Um, and it has been worse under Brian. If 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 Kirk had been calling plays for the last twenty three years, then we'd have the same offense now that we had 10, 15 years ago. And it, it's never been good. It's never been great, but it's so much worse now, statistically right. speaking. And somebody brought up two thousand two. Think back to two thousand two. They were actually a really effective offense. I just, man, I, I just think how long are Iowa fans that are committed to Kirk and, and for valid reasons, how long are they willing to dig their heels in and grind out as many years as they can get out of that dear old man? Because if they can, you know, win seven, eight games, nine games a year, boy, that's, it's almost like you're just, you're, you're somebody's tickling your feet. It's just, just enough to keep you coming back. And a lot of Iowa fans are still there. Now, it, more and more are turning and, and saying, hey, we, we need something else. But I just wonder how long the, those fans that are still so glued and married to the Kirk era are willing to deal with these types of offenses when you look around the country and you're watching teams like Colorado. and De- Now, Colorado has got issues, don't get me wrong, but like they're throwing the ball around the yard in year one under Deion Sanders with a bunch of transfers. Like, how can offense be that seemingly easy for Colorado, Mark? And year after year, we're just grinding our our gears with this Iowa offense. How can here's a question I had for for Coach Patterson during the show on on Saturday, and I want you to answer it. How can Ryan Walters, all right? How can Ryan Walters go to Purdue and have? I mean, they're they scored 17 against Wisconsin the other night, um, but they've they've. They're decent. I mean, you look at the statistics. They played some teams. They played a couple of ACC teams. They score points. And statistically speaking, based on competition and the numbers, they're a much better offense than Iowa right now. How can he, a defensive coordinator from Illinois, become the head coach at Purdue, and all of a sudden their offense is just that much better? And we we can't even seem Iowa can't even seem to get it above 128th in the country. How is that possible? <laughs> explain, explain how it's possible. And yet we, we act like it's this years long process. We oh you know this line has been really young, and we we just got to keep going. We got to keep working. We and we've only been doing this for a few years, Mark. We got to keep going. We're going to turn the corner at some point. Holy yeah. Wow. And, and, and back to Deion Sanders. Consider that he's brought in sixty eight transfers, twenty freshmen, so he has eighty eight new players. <clears throat> you talk about a lack of continuity, just throwing a team together. And it's been pretty successful. You know, we got to see them play Nebraska two weeks ago. So we'll get a direct comparison of what did the Colorado offense look like against Nebraska's defense? And what is Iowa's offense going to look like against the Nebraska defense? Yeah, that's that's a fair point. (laughs) And um, they scored 36 points. Yeah. And could have scored more. They, They didn't need to. They were up big all right folks we appreciate you all being here we do this every tuesday believe it or not win or lose regardless of how it looks uh we are here with Corey each and every tuesday 4 30 central time make it on back next tuesday bring some friends with you so maybe some of you did we have over 200 on the line right now which tells us that most of you weren't here for most of the conversation so you just stick around for a couple minutes and you can watch the full video. You can start it right now. Uh, just go back to the beginning and watch what you missed. Also, we'd like to remind everyone that you can listen 
to this podcast, the audio form, just go to from the Hawkeye of the Storm on your favorite audio platform from the Hawkeye of the Storm. And you can listen to Corey and myself if you're out and about and that's just a better option for you any particular week. You can do that. And uh, meanwhile, uh, lock in on Corey's content at from the Hawkeye of the Storm and, of course, the post game after the Michigan State game, which I didn't even look up game time yet. Uh, 6.30 p.m. Central Time on NBC. Real quick, this is what I'm talking about. This comment right here. This is exactly what I'm talking about. This is exactly what I am talking about. There is a faction of the fan base, and I'm not ripping you, Mike, but you are in the minority, but there are people who agree with you. They're just so scared. Like they look at an example like Nebraska, and they're so scared. They got greedy, and look where they're at now. The grass ain't always greener. I'm so sick of that narrative. I'm just sick of it. And you have every right to feel that way, Mike, and I don't agree with you, but there are people that agree with it. That's exactly what I'm talking about when I talk about people wanting this program to be run out of fear of becoming irrelevant. Yeah, it's a Rather defeatist than attitude. Great. It's a defeatist attitude that Absolutely. is just clinging to something better than mediocrity. And maybe he's not a Mike might not even be an Iowa fan. I don't know. Okay. He says I'm a Nebraska fan for 40 years. Okay. <laughs> so that's fine. I, 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 maybe there's a little bit of uh, cynicism or humor in that, that, but there's, there's a lot of Iowa fans that say that is what I'm saying. They call in and tell me that they put that in the chat and say that a lot. They really are scared to death of going back to the Bob Cummings era. And I just think it's just such a, like you said, a defeatist attitude. Wisconsin, a uh, program that is compared to Iowa's certainly uh, a lot outside the Big Ten by non-Big Ten people. Look at what they did in the offseason. Paul Christ had a more successful run during his tenure at Wisconsin than Kirk had during that same time period. 74% winning percentage. See ya. Should we should we real quick acknowledge this last guy? Uh, we shouldn't even throw it on the screen, but uh, we just want to read this comment from <laughs> from Hawkeye okay, fan Hawkeye. Once again. Dribble. I offered up substance earlier, and it is ignored. I must conclude. Mark and Corey are poor at their job. I find it funny how this Hawkeye fan, as he's named, is probably Brian actually. But I find it funny that he's always in the chat and he's on all the post game shows and all, and yet he thinks we suck at our jobs. Where is the comment back here from from Hawkeye fan that he thinks was some great comment? Let me see if I can find it. We, we are not obligated to read anybody's comments. We have obligated ourselves, of course, if you give a contribution, we will, of course, and we very much appreciate those. But we, we run the show as we see fit. Uh, where's the comment from, let me see if I can find his, uh, earth shattering comment from earlier. Wow. A lot of comments in the chat today. Oh, here it is. Is this the one you're talking about? Hawkeye fan. I'm thankful that Corey is not responsible for running any organization. Corey does not know much about football. <laughs> is it that one? <laughs> I, actually, no, I, in all respect, I think in all honesty, he was referring to, I, I did have the other comment from him. He said, uh, he or she said, like I said, it's probably Brian. Um, Brian said, what team with recruiting greater than 25 ranking beats top 10 recruiting teams? Who is that team? Which team with a better than 25 recruiting ranking beats top 10 teams? I think he meant outside the top 25 oh. in recruiting rankings. I don't know. I don't know. I, it's probably fitting into the the same narrative that I had a guy named Corey actually that called in the post game on sh show on Saturday. He was respectful. And I appreciated him listening, and he 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 enjoys listening to the show with Coach Patterson. But he was super defensive of Kirk, and he just kept bringing up how we just don't. You know, it's it's not Kirk's fault. We just don't have the players. We just can't recruit the players. And I kept like I just kept going into this revolving door with him, and I'm like. Who is in charge of recruiting? <laughs> you keep saying it's not his fault. They can't get players to come here. <laughs> I mean, he's been here 23 years. Don't tell. And for the people that say, well, nobody's going to be able to get players to come to Iowa. You don't know that. You do not know that. He's been here 23 years. You do not know that. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're wrong. But, but last I knew, college football is run by recruiting, which is 
that's why there's so much responsibility on the head football coach and obviously all the coaches that he's hired to his staff. But um, yeah, I, I just, but that is another narrative that's out there. They just, it's not Kirk's fault because they just don't have good enough players. And I don't know if that's the comment being made here is you can't blame Kirk because he just doesn't have the horses. Why doesn't he have the horses? Isn't it because A, his staff's not developing the horses or B, because they swung and missed in, on the recruiting trail? Maybe I'm simplifying that too much. That's how I see it. But I don't I can't know argue with any of that. No. But I don't know football, Mark. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Well, we all have to withstand those comments. I uh, had my little love affair over the weekend with Notre Dame fans. I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it didn't go. Over, I'm sure those last couple of plays didn't go over real well from the south from South Bend. And uh, I will state this really quickly for any Notre Dame fans that are here that watch us on the main channel. You are more than welcome. Notre Dame is, of course, covered by us. And we we cover Notre Dame football and do our best and love Notre Dame fans. And uh, just just be reasonable. <laughs> That's all I ask. All right. Another show in the books, Hawkeyes Live. We've done this 113 times. We hope to do it for a 114th time with all of you next Tuesday. Be here at 4.30 Central. Check out Corey's work on a regular basis at From the Hawkeye of the Storm and post-game after Iowa-Michigan State on Saturday.